Late in January 1975, a German teenager named Vera Brandes walked out onto the stage of the Cologne Opera House. The auditorium was empty, lit only by the dim green glow of the emergency exit sign. This was the most exciting day of Vera's life. Vera loved jazz and was frustrated that there just wasn't enough good jazz in Cologne. So, at the age of 16, she'd started to arrange concerts herself. Tonight would be the fifth, and by far the biggest. Vera Brandes had persuaded the Cologne Opera House to host a late-night concert of jazz from the American pianist Keith Jarrett, a remarkable venue for a remarkable 29-year-old musician. Jarrett had already played with greats such as Art Blakey and Miles Davis, but now he was on his own. The vast auditorium was sold out. 1,400 people were coming, easily the largest audience for Jarrett's tour of improvised piano performances. In just a few hours, Keith Jarrett would walk out alone on that stage, he'd sit down at the piano, and without rehearsal or sheet music, he'd begin to play. But right now, Vera was introducing Keith to the piano in question, and it wasn't going well. His producer, Manfred Eicher, came over to Vera. If you don't get another piano, Keith can't play tonight. There'd been a mistake. Jarrett was and is an exacting musician. He likes things to be perfect, absolutely the way he wants them. And he'd requested a specific piano, a Bösendorfer Imperial. The Opera House had told Vera Brandes they had just the thing, but somehow the piano on stage was nothing like what had been promised. As Vera Brandes remembered, They found this tiny little Bösendorfer that was completely out of tune. The upper and the lower octave was wrecked. The black notes in the middle didn't work, the pedal stuck. It was unplayable. Absolutely unplayable. And quite understandably, Jarrett didn't want to play it. When it became clear there was no way to get a replacement piano on stage, when it became clear that it was the unplayable piano or nothing, Keith Jarrett opted for nothing. He walked out into the rain, leaving a bedraggled Vera Brandes trailing behind him, begging him not to cancel. I'm Tim Harford, and you're listening to the short cast of Cautionary Tales, stories about other people's mistakes and what we should learn from them, lest we make the same mistakes ourselves. In this episode, you'll hear how this potentially disastrous situation was turned on its head, and you'll learn why you might want to try introducing obstacles into your own workflow to bring out your most innovative ideas. About the same time as Keith Jarrett's encounter with the unplayable piano, on the other side of Germany, a very different musician was scrambling over his own musical obstacle course. David Bowie, the unearthly, ambisexual rock icon, had moved to Berlin. But Bowie had a very different attitude to his music than Jarrett. While Jarrett was a purist, Bowie actually enjoyed self-imposed obstacles. 
but we believed that accidents were to be treasured, even planned, rather than avoided. That's why he asked Brian Eno to join him and his producer Tony Visconti in Berlin. Eno took to showing up at the Hansa studio with a soft black box containing a selection of curious cards he called oblique strategies. They're quite simple, these cards. Small black text on a white background, curved corners. They're about the size of playing cards, although there are more than a hundred of them, making a thick deck to be shuffled and consulted. Each card has a different instruction, and you never know which one you're going to get. Eno once told me, you have to pick one. If you don't like it, tough. Whenever the studio sessions were running aground, Eno would draw a card at random and relay its strange orders. Be the first not to do what has never not been done before. Look at the order in which you do things. Emphasize the flaws. Change instrument roles. The poet Simon Armitage describes the cards. As if you're asking the blood in your brain to flow in another direction. That doesn't sound fun, yet the strange, chaotic working process produced some of the decade's most critically acclaimed albums, Low, Heroes and Lodger. You can't argue with the results. I sought out Brian Eno to discuss this strange approach of deliberately adding obstacles. Eno is, to me, one of the most interesting musicians alive, When the music magazine Pitchfork listed its top 100 albums of the 1970s, Brian Eno had a hand in more than a quarter of them. But I wanted to talk to Brian not just because he's produced beautiful music with remarkable people using very strange methods, but also because Brian Eno is, like me, a nerd. He thinks hard about why obstacles are so often helpful. The enemy of creative work is boredom, actually. And the friend is alertness. Now, I think what makes you alert is to be faced with a situation that is beyond your control. So you have to be watching it very carefully to see how it unfolds, to be able to stay on top of it. That kind of alertness is exciting. You know that feeling of being a tourist in a totally foreign land? how rich all the tiny details are, how densely layered the memories. You can look back on a day and marvel at just how much you managed to pack in, whereas a day of your normal routines can be hard to remember at all. One of the things that Brian Eno is trying to achieve with his strange cards is that same sense of attention, of being alert. There's nothing like an unfamiliar problem to make you start focusing. If things feel out of your control, maybe even a little dangerous, that gets the adrenaline flowing, and in the right circumstances, the creative juices too. There's a second reason that the oblique strategies may have helped David Bowie. They pushed him to try something fresh. Brian Eno described to me the tendency of highly skilled musicians to end up exploring a narrow territory because it's the only place they feel completely comfortable. You get more and more competent at dealing with that place and your clichés become increasingly clichéd. But when you're forced to start from somewhere new, the clichés can be replaced with moments of magic. So, 
there are two reasons why an obstacle might actually help us solve a problem. First, the strange, unfamiliar, or even threatening situation grabs your attention. And then there's the way a random disruption forces you to try something totally new. But this is still a cautionary tale, because it's a story of danger. The danger is that we shun these obstacles, avoid difficulties, flee from problems, when in fact, we might flourish from facing them head-on. Keith Jarrett, after all, didn't celebrate the appearance of a bad piano on stage at his largest ever concert, rubbing his hands in glee at the opportunity to have his creativity supercharged by the challenge. Of course he didn't. He walked away. When faced with the unplayable piano, we resist. Back in dark, rainy Cologne in 1975, young Vera Brandes was in big trouble. An opera house full of paying customers, an unplayable piano, and an understandably reluctant Keith Jarrett. So she did the only thing she could. She ran after Jarrett, found him waiting in his car, flung open the door, and begged him not to cancel. And Keith Jarrett, looking out at this rain-drenched teenage girl, took pity on her. Never forget, just for you. Keith Jarrett would play after all. Jarrett walked back out onto the stage of the opera house. He sat down at the unplayable piano and began. The minute he played the first note, everybody knew this was magic. Jarrett was avoiding those tinny upper registers. He was sticking to the middle tones of the keyboard, which gave the piece a soothing, ambient quality. His left hand produced rumbling, repetitive bass riffs as a way of covering up the piano's lack of resonance. The music had a trance-like quality as a result. But Jarrett couldn't simply relax into that easy listening zone because the tiny piano simply wasn't loud enough. He stood up, twisting, pounding down on the keys, desperately trying to create enough volume to reach the people in the back row. Jarrett really had to play that piano very hard to get enough volume to get to the balconies. He was really pachow, pushing the notes down. Standing up, sitting down, moaning, writhing, Jarrett didn't hold back in any way as he pummeled the unplayable piano to produce something unique. That night became legendary, the performance that made Keith Jarrett's reputation. It wasn't the music that he ever imagined playing, but handed an impossible mess. Jarrett soared. Jarrett was having to play the piano in a different style, from a different stance, remembering to avoid certain faulty keys, and all in front of the largest audience he'd ever faced. You can bet that he was alert. And you can bet, also, that he was trying something new. Keith Jarrett could have played the music he played at Cologne on any piano, but it was only when he was forced to deal with the limitations of a bad piano that it occurred to him to try. The recording was released as the Köln Concert. It's the best-selling piano album in history, and the best-selling solo jazz album too. There's something very special about it. There's a lesson here for all of us. 
The next time you're faced with your own unplayable piano, see if you can change how you're thinking about it. What elements of the impediments can be used as a stepping stone? Instead of changing your circumstances, what can you change about yourself or your expectations? Even something simple like making do with what you have in the pantry instead of dashing off to the store when you're missing an ingredient for a recipe can help you cultivate a habit of embracing the unexpected. You might not always get the results you had in mind, but as we've seen, you might end up with something even better. If you've enjoyed this short cast of Cautionary Tales, you might like the episode The Rogue Dressed as a Captain. You may think you can spot a con man coming a mile away, but this episode explains why you may be wrong. I'll lay out how successful swindlers manipulate their marks, which is important information to have if you don't want to become one.